Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So we're in this series, Cave Time, and I want to bring a definition of what a cave is. Here it is. Uh, It's on the screen, and I want you to say this with me. It's right here. Here it is. Say this with me. A cave can either be a hiding place or a holy place. Say that again. A cave can either be a hiding place or a holy place. So a cave uh, is kind of a metaphor we're using during this series where we can either run to God or run from God. Uh, We can either uh, uh, encounter God or we can elude God. And I want to suggest to you that a cave, again, it's just a metaphor. It's an illustration we're using to describe life, circumstances and seasons that we find ourselves in, that everybody finds themselves in. Because uh, everybody's going to experience cave time. Can I get a big yes this morning? Yeah. We're going to experience cave time. And, and, and the question really isn't, are we going to experience it? The question is, what are we going to do when we get there? And the truth is, um, you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to camp out there. And some of us make a career of camping out in these places. So will a cave be a place where we'll hide from God or seek for God? And and so that's what this series is all about. And it was true of some biblical characters uh, centuries ago, and it's true of us as well uh, today. And so um, in the series so far, Cave Time, we've been with Samson in the Cave of Anger. Remember, I heard Pastor Dale, uh, I watched the sermon, and remember that that, uh, anger is a secondary emotion. So there's something beneath the surface. If you didn't see the message, it's online at the Community Hope website. And then uh, Pastor Trevor uh, took us uh, with David into the cave of fear. It's interesting, he's in the, the cave where he could look out and see where he had defeated um, the giant Goliath uh, years before. But here's what I want to remind you about all of uh, the things that God does in our life. Uh, yesterday's miracle is not enough for today's challenges. So we have to have an up-to-date faith um, to, to navigate the challenges of our life of fear. And then uh, last weekend, man, Pastor Dale, you just crushed it as you took us with Elijah into the cave of depression and despair. And yeah, I was the guy that knocked on his door and said, you couldn't come to us, so we're going to come to you. And my best friend was in the worst spot I'd ever seen. And God uh, met uh, Pastor Dale there. Uh, and he met him there through a bunch of old friends. But now, today we're going to uh, jump to the New Testament, and we're going to get with Jesus in the cave of temptation. We're going to talk about temptation today. Now, there's a lot of confusion uh, about uh, temptation and, and, and kind of co- confusing it with trials. See, the Bible teaches in James 1, the Bible teaches that God is not the author of temptation. The evil one's the author of temptation. But that God seems to, in Scripture, seems to allow us to experience some trials in life. Trials that produce character inside of us. So let me give you an example. Some craftsmen built this table. Uh, they, they made some forms and, and forged to the, the base, and, and then they, they screwed it to a wood top. And, and then when the craftsman got done with this table, he or she might have twisted it a little bit, put a little pressure on it. That's a trial, just to make sure that It's got the character that it needs to withstand uh, overweight Puerto Rican pastor leaning on it. (laughs) But say some demented criminal broke into COH 
and wanted to destroy the sanctuary, picked up this table and sought to destroy it. You see, that's what the evil one wants to do to you and me. He wants to destroy us. Now, God might allow us to go through trials to test our mettle, if you will, to see how we're going to withhold, and he wants to build character in us. And today, we're not talking about trials that build character. We're talking about temptations that seek to destroy our lives. So we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to look at the story of Jesus entering a literal cave of temptation. I love the tradition around here at COH that in honor of God and his word, we stand. So would you stand with me? As we read uh, from Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3, I'll read this for you. It'll be on the screen. Uh, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for how many days? 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing at all, all that time, and became very hungry. And then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took uh, took him and revealed to him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only, only him. Then the devil uh, took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is the word of God for the people of God. And people said, thanks be to God, you may be seated. Now, uh, this gospel story that we just read is found in three of the four biographies of Jesus that we call the gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three that are most alike, the three that scholars call the synoptics, um, this happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in all three. And uh, all three gospels also say that before this temptation... The same thing happened, and it was his baptism. Maybe you remember that. Now, you remember what happened at Jesus' baptism, right? He goes to see his half-crazy cousin, John. You know, the locust-eating, camel-wearing, preaching repentance of sins, baptism cousin of his. Everybody's got that crazy cousin, amen? So... So uh, Jesus goes to see him, and we get what I call, uh, in, in our church, I call it the Trinity family portrait. One of the few places in Scripture where you get to see the Trinity in all the mystery of who the Trinity is. You see the Father speaking over the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You, you see the heavens, Mark's gospel says, ripped open, because Mark wants us to know that this is of cosmic importance ripped open, and the dove descending on Jesus, the Spirit of God, and then Jesus being the receptor of his Father's blessing. If he had been in the south, if this had been done on the Mississippi River in the south, uh, his father would have said, that's my boy, that's my boy. (laughs) But Jesus, uh, at, at this moment, is baptized by his cousin, and it's his ordination service. And can I suggest to you that every baptized Christian has been ordained uh, for mission and ministry. 
And so Jesus is, is ordained and he launches his ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John want us to know that. And, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke want us to know that. And there's two important things for us to get about the baptism before we move on to the temptation. And, and the first important thing I want us to understand is that for Jesus, um, his, his status with his father was not based on his performance. That his identity went before his activity. That his, that his roots went before his wings. That his being went before his, his doing. And there's somebody in church that needs to hear that this morning. If you're like me, if you're a performance addict, Enneagram 3, okay? If you're a performance addict, adult child of an alcoholic, always having to prove something, we need to camp around this story for a while and remember, as Pastor Dale told us uh, last week, we are children of God and persons of worth. We're cogpiles. And that our identity, Jesus, I, Jesus' father said, that's my boy, before he ever taught a lesson, preached a sermon, or healed a person. His identity was set. The, the second thing I want us to notice about this is a sequence of the story, baptism, then temptation. And it serves, if you will, as a real pattern for us that we are most vulnerable to the temptations of the evil one right after mountaintop experiences. Remember that Jesus had just heard the welcoming words from his father in baptism, and then he hears the sinister whisper of the one that Peter calls a roaring lion who wants to pounce on us. The evil one, Satan himself. Remember that everything was great in Genesis 2. It was in Genesis 3 when the serpent showed up. Ask Pastor Dale and Pastor Trevor how Monday mornings are for them as pastors. Because after great mountaintop moments come these, these moments of temptation. Every Monday, I call Pastor Dale and say, are you quitting or am I? <laughs> now... With Jesus' identity secured in his baptism then, Jesus enters into the cave of temptation. Now read with me Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It's right here on the screen. Ready? Go. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all at that time and became very hungry. It's interesting. I've read the scripture for wrong for decades. I thought that he liked 40 days and, and then he was tempted on day 40, but that's not what it says. It says for 40 days, Jesus was tempted. Another thing that, that, that I read wrong about this text for many, many years is that I thought that the wilderness was the place of temptation because that's where it happened. It happened in the wilderness. But notice that the scripture says that Jesus was full of the spirit. Okay. Can I suggest to you getting your identity right will keep you full of the Spirit? And But it says it was also, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. It's a great word. It's the Greek word, eremos. Say that with me. Eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S. It means uh, desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place. And in Israel, the wilderness, I've been there, just uh, went this February with a group of folks from our church. Israel is filled with caves. And caves were these places where they would go to hide. Now, John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says that he thought, for decades like me, that the wilderness was a negative place for Jesus. And then as he began to study Scripture, he realized that it was wrong, that the wilderness for Jesus was a place of strength. 
The wilderness was the place where he went to be with his father. And that he was fasting there, and his fasting was to create in him a hunger for God. You see, cave in these days were used as tombs for burying dead people. And Jesus would be placed in a cave uh, three years later at the end of his life. But you could argue that this earlier cave, this cave of temptation, was just as life and death for Jesus as the cave at the end of his life. If he stumbled here at the beginning of his earthly ministry, the redemptive purposes of his mission could be thwarted. You see, victory in the cave of temptation in the wilderness would point to victory in the garden tomb on Easter Sunday in Jerusalem. So all four Gospels, all four Gospels tell us that Jesus goes into the wilderness. I counted it 32 times. And 32 times, Jesus most often went to pray. It was his Eremos place. So I have a question to ask you, my COH family and friends. Where is your Eremos place? Where is your wilderness place? Where you go to be alone with your father, to hear him say over you, you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. There's nothing you could do that would make me love you more. And there's nothing you could do that would make me love you less. We all need an Eremos place. Jesus had this place. And when he, Jesus got to this place, one of our other covenant brothers, Max Wilkins, uh, preached at Grace Church, and he gave me, the, gave me the best definition for the three temptations that Jesus experienced. Here they are. They're on the screen here. The first was the temptation for pleasure, to feel good. And the second temptation was the temptation for position and power, to look good. And the third temptation, here it is, the temptation for possessions, to have goods, to feel good, to look good, and to have goods. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Can I get a big yes? Yeah. Money, sex, and power. It's what we wrestle with. This is the kind of stuff that's trying to destroy us. And with each temptation, Jesus responded from the scriptures with the word, it is written. Now, there's a temptation for us as kind of orthodox followers of Jesus, to believe that all he meant there was the words written on the pages of this book. But he meant more. Jesus meant not just the words on the page, he meant the author of the words on the page. That when Jesus says, it is written, he was pointing the evil one to say, my good, good father. The one about whom we just sang about. He one who he had been meeting with in his Eremos place. This is the one that he's referring to. He's basically saying to the evil one, my good, good father, he will fight for me. So Cheryl and I have two sons and our youngest son for 15 years struggled with an opiate addiction. And Pastor Dale and Beth walked with us every step of the way. Through rehabs and overdoses in jail over and over again for 15 years on recycle. And there was a season in there when we were tempted to give up on our boy. And uh, um, uh, Cheryl and I were uh, speaking at a missions conference. And the guy that was leading worship at this missions conference uh, was the Chris Tomlins of Brazil. And he stood up to speak and he, uh, to sing and he said, the Lord just told me that there's somebody in this room that is ready to give up on one of their children. 
And I want to sing a new song that I've just written called, My God Will Fight for You. And Cheryl and I wept tears of gratitude for a God who says, I will fight for you. When Jesus said it is written, he was saying to the evil one, my God, he will fight for me. And so Jesus experiences this temptation. It is, it is written, he says. So for the time that remains, I want to just be really practical. I want to be really practical. And I want us to look at uh, a few verses and uh, uh, two little verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And these verses give us four insights on how we can meet God in our caves of temptation. But let me just, let me just say this word uh, before we go into this. Many a Christian is, is crippled by guilt and shame because they experience temptation. And I just want to say to you, it's, it's kind of obvious, but sometimes we lose this in our walk with God. That you are tempted says that you are alive. Temptation isn't sin. Falling to temptation is sin. And so don't live uh, with the evil one winning the game because you're tempted. So here they are. Uh, four things. Uh, number one, accept that my temptations are real. Accept that my temptations are real. Let's read uh, verse uh, 10 or chapter 10, uh, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. Okay, ready, go. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Accept that my temptations are real. You see, uh, all of us, all of us are prone to temptations. If you think you're standing strong, be careful that you don't, you don't fall. All of us have feet of clay. A proverb says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. When we don't think we can fall, we are on the way to falling. You've heard the phrase there, but by the grace of God go I. I did some research on it, and it came from an English evangelist preacher named John Bradford, who was watching criminals off to be hung, to be hung, and he said famously, there but by the grace of God goes John Bradford. So many people ask me why, as an, a, a person in recovery from drugs and alcohol, I self-identify still today, over 40 years later, as a grateful follower of Jesus in recovery from drugs and alcohol. It's because if I forget. I might fall. I need to remember from where I came. You see, I discovered uh, that where the Lord builds a sanctuary, the devil is building a chapel. I learned in the rooms of recovery that when I'm in there working on my addictions, my addictions is outside of the room doing push-ups. All of us, all of us can fall. Number two. Number two, recognize that my temptations are common. That my temptations are common. Now look, let's read the beginning of 13a. Ready? Go. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You see, all of us are vulnerable and we all need to not have an unhealthy self-confidence. Because we all have the temptation to fall. Uh, remember Peter was in the upper room with the disciples and Jesus tells him what is going to happen to him. And Peter stands up and says, though everybody betray you, I will not. Matthew gives us this little insight that we sometimes forget. And here's the quote from Matthew. And all of the disciples said the same thing too. You see, the disciples, the disciples thought that they were gifted with terminal uniqueness. Uh, but temptation's common to everybody. 
Money, sex, power, temptations are there for pastors, for spiritual leaders. Just this week, we heard of another one of our heroes who's fallen to sexual temptation. And our vocation does not give us an inoculation from temptation. Ooh, that'll preach right there. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to put that in a book. Write that down, Trev. Put that in a book. Number three. Number three. Third way on how to endure my time in the cave of temptation is realize that my temptations are limited. Okay, here's the hope. Look at the beginning or part B of this. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You've heard the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that ain't in the Bible. (laughs) And frankly, it's heresy. It's a lie. You ask my friends who are struggling with addictions, afflictions, compulsive behaviors, whether they're being given more than they can handle, and they'll tell you yes. You talk to any honest parent in this room who has a wayward son or daughter right now who's making stupid decisions, whether God's given them more than they can handle, and they'll say yes. You you talk to anybody who's experiencing uh, all kinds of temptations in their life. Here's what the Bible teaches. Here it is. It's on the screen. God won't give you more than God can handle. If this is a Pentecostal church, somebody would shout on that one. Yeah. You see, temptations are limited, but God is unlimited. God is, is unlimited. Our hope is in the God we just sang about. You see, we need to get the right perspective on our temptations. There's a little boy who was being bullied by the kid that lived across the street. One day his daddy came home and the boy was looking out the front window at the bully playing in the front yard across the way. And he was looking through a telescope, except he had flipped the telescope around. He was looking out the big end through the small end. And his dad said, hey, son, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm looking at the bully across the street. And his daddy said, well, boy, you're looking at the wrong end of the telescope. And he said, no, I'm not, daddy. He said, I just want him to be smaller than he really is. And that's the way followers of Jesus need to consider temptation because the temptations we experience are not more than God can handle. Number four, I need to believe that my temptations can be overcome. Let's read part C. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Say way out. Say way out. Say neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Neighbor, neighbor, there's a way out. Tell them right now. Wake them. Shake them up. Neighbor, there's a way out. Let me tell you my way out in my life over money, sex, and power. Simple stuff. Let me tell you the way out. Over money, Cheryl and I meet regularly to review our budget and our expenditures. That's God's way out. I mean, like, we're looking for, like, stuff to fall from heaven. No, it's like having a meeting to talk about money. Uh, I travel quite a bit to speak, and when I travel, your pastor calls me on the phone and says, Are you clean? Because I could look at anything on that computer or on that hotel screen, or I could have anybody in that hotel room that I wanted, and nobody would know except God and me. But my best friend becomes my way out. Number three, money, sex, power. I I meet with a coach, uh, Craig. Uh, He's a good friend of Pastor Dale's as well. I meet with him every other week, and he spanks me regularly when, when I start thinking I'm all of that in a bag of chips because I've written a few books and spoken at a few places. And that's my way out. 
You see, our way out that God gives to us, they're typically right in, in front of us. You see, God will always provide a way out. Whether it's money, sex, or power, there's a way out. The real question is, are we looking for it? Because we have to remember that temptations are real, and that they're common, and that they're limited, but that they can be overcome. Let me close with this story. I'm going to share with you a story about how our oldest son, Daniel, has met God in these last several months in his own cave. So uh, you remember that uh, the middle, or at the end of the month of September last year, uh, we were all waiting to see where Hurricane Ian would come aboard. And when it became obvious it was heading towards us, my wife Cheryl and I, uh, we got out all the stuff to get the house ready, and we got everything buttoned up. And that week, uh, we entered into a new cave in our life that we were not expecting. It was unwanted and unexpected, not just to us, but especially to my oldest son, Daniel. It was the cave of divorce. His wife of 17 years, his girlfriend, of uh, they had been together since they were in high school, uh, announced to him that she didn't want to be married anymore. And we got this hurricane. Cat four hurricane coming on us. And Cheryl and I are talking to our son. He's a travel nurse. He's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, trying to take care of his family. And we were worried, frankly, that he was either going to have a stroke or kill himself. And so after we got the house buttoned up on the 27th, the hurricane comes on the 28th, on the 27th in the afternoon, we got in our car and we drove for 13 hours and arrived in the middle of the night to our son. Here's a picture that Cheryl took of just a few moments after we arrived with our baby boy. Screaming, why doesn't she love me anymore? And the next day, uh, we packed up everything that he had, and we drove home as the hurricane devastated southwest Florida. $40 billion worth of damage. And I come back, Our home, by the grace of God, was well. And over the next several weeks, um, Cheryl and I are navigating between work and caring for our son. And work and caring for our son. Now, to his credit, his time in the cave of divorce has driven him to Jesus. And he got into therapy and... He engaged some older men in our church to mentor him. He, he reconnected with some of his old youth group buddies. And he is growing like a weed in, in his faith. Flash ahead with me five months later. Uh, we were supposed to go to Israel. We took 101 people from our church to Israel. And uh, Pastor Dale will get around to that someday. It's, uh, it's, I've been, just, just, I just throw that out, you know. And if he won't, Pastor George will take you. How's that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And it was supposed to be, uh, my, my daughter-in-law was supposed to come with us. And so that couldn't happen, of course. And so we invited our oldest granddaughter, Mia, to come. I could tell the first few days that things were not well, that he was just a bit disoriented. You can imagine. One of the things you do when you go to Israel is you get to, be baptized in the River Jordan. And I looked at the end of the line. There were about 65 of the 101 that went that got baptized. And I looked at the end of the line, and there was my son, Daniel. 
And somebody took a little video of it. It's just 20 seconds long. I'll watch the screen. Come on. So we get home, you know. I said, hey, Daniel, what was your moment in Israel? And he said, it was when I was baptized. I said, well, what happened? He said, Daddy... He says, when I went into the water, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I am washing away all your tears and your sadness and your brokenness now. And now is the time to rebuild your life with me. Look at this picture. That's joy. Look at his mama. (laughs) That's joy. So during these months, there's been a Bible verse that I've gone to over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion. This is my favorite Greek word, splagnitsomai. It means from the guts. God feels deeply for us. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. He's the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our troubles. And here's what the Lord has said to me in these months. He said, George, if you and Cheryl and Daniel and your family will come to me, the God of all compassion, I'll give you the great exchange. You give me all of your troubles, and I'll give you all of my comfort. When I travel to Europe, one of the things I do is I go to one of those exchange booths, and and I want to get the best rate for euros. I want a good exchange rate. Here's the deal. Jesus enters into our caves and he says, if you'll give me all of your troubles, I'll give you all of my comfort. That's the best exchange rate ever. Amen? Let's pray together. And so, Father in heaven, We thank you that as we turn our attention uh, towards this gift of table, the Lord's Supper communion, that it is here where we can take all of our troubles and you will give to us all of your comfort. And Lord, I know that in this room and online and at the other campuses of Community of Hope, there are women and men who are dying in their caves of whatever the the fill-in-the-blank is. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the God of all compassion will do the great exchange for them, even in this moment. That they will exchange all of their troubles, their anger and their fears and their depression and their despair and their worry and their anxiety and their hopelessness. That they will exchange all of that for your comfort. Would you do what only your Holy Spirit can do and make that great exchange this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. amen and amen.